thankfully God is her vision. And, uh, I'd like to welcome you to Grace Reformed Baptist Church. And there's some announcements you can look at the bulletin, fellowship lunch next week, youth choir practice next week, new members. But I just wanted to publicly thank people without mentioning their names. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes here to, to prepare us to worship, from audiovisual to music to cleaning the church to maintaining it. And uh, it just, I'm thankful that we have a congregation of servants that just don't have to be up front, but everybody's taking part in making this a time where we can come to worship God. We can put aside the week and focus on the Bible and serving God, serving each other. So thanks to everybody. You know who you are that help us get to where we are this morning. Thank you. And let me just mention a couple things by way of announcement. Uh, one, we just got back from the Anchored in Truth conference, and for those that came, we're going to review some of the lessons we learned or insights and thoughts on our Wednesday Zoom meeting, so you might want to tune in for that. And if that's news for those of you who travel, that's just the cost of coming with us. So in any case, we'll put you on the spot. Now, I'd like to hear from you. Your responses, the church would. We represented the church to go down to our mission partner, in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and uh, this weekend, and had several people uh, travel with me. It was a joy to take them down and to um, hear some good preaching and teaching to meet a lot of the missionaries that we support and see them one-on-one -on -one and see what's going on and participate in that, and we have some reports to give, and we'd like to do that. I also just... Um, we publicly also thank Isaac again for Isaac White for uh, leading us and putting all this together. Um, it, it was quite a bit of work. Uh, he does a real good job. Easy for me because he's the chauffeur and he tells me where and when we can eat and all of that. So I just, it's a free ride for me. So, any case, I actually really appreciate his organizational skills and putting that together and his interest in missions and, and so forth. I uh, plan on it next year to be about this time in February as, uh, as well. Uh, next year, if you want to participate with us and see Isaac and others to talk about it, but Isaac in particular as he leads us. The, um, why don't you look at your worship folder? Just uh, we One of the sessions that we had was how to listen to a sermon, a, a book, titled, one of the speakers wrote a book called Expository Listening. It's interesting. We may bring that up at some point, but I thought also we should probably think closer in how we worship and what we're doing in coming together here. And just to refresh your memory and to remind, we have some new members of what we're trying to do in our worship today as we've put it together and organized it. And there's something different from time to time, but I want to uh, just get you to think about what we're attempting to do here and ask you to participate in that. If you'll notice here, we uh, I'll pray in just a bit, and I'll have you pray from time to time to prepare your heart to be able to hear and heed God's word. 
for the Holy Spirit to work in your life and heart, to speak to you at this time. We'll have some reading. You'll note here a Life of Christ reading. We'll change it up from time to time. Occasionally we'll have a catechism that we'll go through. Maybe we'll read a creed, an ancient church creed together. Uh, but we've been reading selections from the Gospels and having the elders read it uh, typically at the beginning. We've been doing that of late, and we'll go for various selections through the Gospel. Uh, we have a, another reading that we're doing, and this time we've just finished up the Psalter. We've read Proverbs, we've read the Psalms, we've read a lot of different sections. But right now, we're going to read through the book of Acts. And that might be difficult at times, and I'm, I'll just have to see how we might break it up. I think, if I remember right, it's about 28 chapters, but uh, a lot of those chapters are very long. Uh, next week will be relatively long, but it deals with Peter's sermon at Pentecost. The book of Acts is the history of the church. The Gospels go through the history of Christ's ministry, primarily. And then he hands it off to the apostles. The apostles take that Gospel that Christ had given them and uh, preach under the power of the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people come to repent and believe on Jesus Christ and the church, what we call the church, is formed. The church is who we are. The church is not a building. It is a people that have been regenerate, regenerate by the Holy Spirit. They have heard the proclamation of God's word. It is God's word that is proclaimed, it is read, it is taught, it is explained, it is encouraged. It is that God's word that the Holy Spirit would use instrumentally in our lives to bring about the wisdom of salvation and to continue that in our growth. We call that sanctification. So this is why we will be reading a lot of scripture in our services. We don't do so to fill in time. This is one of the most crucial aspects of what we do. The folks that read, typically the men who will read the scripture reading beginning Acts 1 today, they'll typically tell you where to find that in your pew Bible because they'll read it out of the ESV. And the reason we read it out of the ESV isn't necessarily the best translation. It's a good one. But we're using that because it coordinates with what we're doing with the children. With the children, they're using the ESV, and they have a memory and meditation verse. Again, scripture. And if you'll notice, that is in our bulletins that we print every week. And we put these, we call them the fighter verses. They're from a, a group that produces that. It's in the ESV. And we encourage the children and the parents of the children to teach these children these verses to where they point to they might memorize them and, and at the very least meditate on them and we do that together. And so this is why we uh, have selected that and have called you to look at the various scriptures. Um, you can engage in different ways. One way is just to, to think and listen very carefully when the scripture is read. Again, that it might make you wise unto salvation, that it might bring about sanctification. As Jesus said, sanctify them in thy truth. John 17, 17, thy word is truth. In Romans 10, 17, it is faith that we all want comes by hearing, and how? 
hearing by the word of God. So rather than go through every aspect, but the, but the hymns as well, just briefly, we, we try to bring about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs so that the church might not be engaged in necessarily those things that are of great entertainment and musically appealing. We, we hope that would be that, the case. But our real goal is to engage you to think about Jesus Christ. Notice the first one, In Christ Alone. What a beautiful hymn. So as you sing through it, think through that in, in worship to God, thinking about his faithfulness. Oh, that we would have a thousand tongues to praise the Lord. And so I, I encourage you to, to be engaged and to be involved. Uh, this public reading of Scripture, by the way, I'm reminded here Paul would tell Timothy, and this is, this is why we have so much of this, whether we sing the Scripture and the content of it, whether we meditate and read it and explain it. Paul would tell his young protege, Timothy, he would take over the church of Ephesus. He says, until I come, 1 Timothy 4, 13, I'll read it for you, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. One of the reasons they certainly had to read it publicly because they're not, they were not spoiled like we are. We have a great privilege in that all of Scripture is actually complete now, and we, we carry it about with us, not only in book form, but in, uh, we have it on our phones. It, it's so accessible. But it, this would still apply to us today, this devotion to the public reading of Scripture for several reasons. One, we really don't read enough of it. It is indeed our daily bread, and we probably have to confess, we could probably use a little bit more of this bread <laughs> than the other, right? In any case, uh, so it, it's helpful. But I'll tell you what, there is another dynamic that we may miss within the gathering of God's people and why we collectively gather. Those that are truly born again, regenerate, have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And we'll talk a little bit of that today in the book of Hebrews, if I get to it. But there's a dynamic when we gather together, and beloved, even in the reading of God's holy word. You understand, this is the only very absolute expressed word of God in right before you. And we get as a congregation then to hear it and recognize the work of the Holy Spirit as he feeds our souls, even in the very hearing of his word. So, yes, indeed, praise the Lord. It is a great gift. It's one that we may overlook, again, because it's such a ubiquitous resource. It's everywhere. Our brothers and sisters in Christ that we'll hear about as we read through the history of the church in the book of Acts, they didn't have as greater privilege as we do today. I would challenge us not to take that for granted. So let me give you a moment then to prepare your heart to hear God's word today in the various ways it's communicated to you. Prepare yourself to worship Christ today. I'll give you a moment privately. Jesus said, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
And even if you don't fully understand it or grasp it, I pray that you would take a moment to confess your sin, to seek Christ. I also pray that you would call on him to hear him today, to literally hear his voice through the proclamation of his word. Take a moment privately, and then I'll pray for us publicly. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this day that we are able freely to gather in a voluntary way, to gather as your saints collectively together to worship Jesus Christ our Lord. We have organized various aspects to bring about a highlight of your glory and grace today. But our actions would be futile without your power without the power that you supply. And so I pray through the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit that anyone outside of Christ would be brought in even this day. Bring about regeneration expressed in repentance and faith. And for those of us who have affections and hearts that that are Godward and towards Christ, I pray that you would feed us on the feast of your word. May everything that we do today be pleasing in your sight. All of heaven looks on even this small gathering of your saints to see the glory of your grace in their lives. What what a great glory it is to bring us from death into life, to give us desires for Christ. We, we do so, Lord, we're not sure how all of that works. But once we were lost and now we're found, once we were blind and now we see, once we had desires that really drove us in a different direction, but deep inside we have a desire for you. I pray those desires would be fueled and flamed by your holy word. I pray that you would indeed send the Holy Spirit in a, in a unique and overwhelming way that we may clearly hear the words of Christ. May they be conviction for those things that we need to have correction to conform us to the image of your Son. May they be comfort for those who feel discouraged or disappointed or wrestling with various diseases or circumstances in their life that would be distracting. I pray, Father, that the glory of Christ would be seen in brilliant ways to where it would be great comfort. We need to be nourished from you and your word. And what a great privilege we have in our country to be able to to read your word in our own tongue, to understand it by the power of the Spirit, to, to be enlightened, to know the significance of this truth. What a great privilege that we have. And I thank you for it. I pray that you accomplish great work today. May this worship of you as we gather as your people be one that we can continue to encourage one another, that we can continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of you. 
looking forward to our blessed hope, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you turn with me to the life of Christ reading Matthew 12, starting in verse 33. That would be on page 817 in the, in the Pew Bible, if I've got it right here. Matthew 12, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and beheld something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it will find the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man and told him, or who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brother. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, let's take our hymn books and let's stand together. Let's turn to number 506. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Mm -hmm. 
singing. Let's turn to number 96, and we'll recite the responsive reading, Above Great is Thy Faithfulness. So 96, notice the line for women only at the bottom. All right, let's begin. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. His faithful love comforts us. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. For great is his faithful love to us. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah.
to 136, 136, and for a thousand, thousand tongues to sing, and my tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praise all day long. scripture reading, as Pastor said, for this morning is Acts chapter 1. This is found at page 909 in your pew Bibles. I would encourage you to follow along. There are many things that can be said about this passage, but the thing that stood out to me was the, the fact that we are called to faithfulness and to faith, but it is not a blind faith. God has graciously given us proofs, proofs of his promises and a detailed historical account so that we can be confident in the truth. Yes. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15, 14, which says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So it's appropriate, I think, that this book begins with a proof of just that fact. This is the word of God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, praise and honor be to your great name. You alone are worthy of all praise. May your will be done in all things to the end that your kingdom is furthered both here on earth and in heaven. We ask you to provide our daily necessities. You tell us that we are worth more than the sparrows, and we trust in your loving provision. Forgive us where we sin against you, and grant us the grace and humility to forgive those who have sinned against us. Bless this time of worship. Bless this offering that it may be multiplied for the good of your kingdom. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you, Amber. Well, let's stand again and take our inserts. If you didn't grab one coming in, there's some in the back, and uh, we'll sing the great Charles Wesley hymn, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Arise, my soul, arise. Amber and Church. I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews 6. And I'll see if I can finish this section. If not, there's always next week. It's been an interesting passage, and I'm not going to go through all of the introductions to it, you can find it archived on our website through Sermon Audio if you want to get the background. I thought it's helpful in particular because this is an important passage, if all Scripture is, but this one can be important in the sense that some have great difficulty in understanding what this is about. Also, the degree to which it might be applicable to us 
or to someone who really trusts Christ. This is a call to be careful and to be warned about spiritual apostasy because we can be easily deceived. This is the third warning in which this preacher in Hebrews gives to his congregation of mostly Jews. And in their particular case, they they were vulnerable in the fact that they might be tempted, which they apparently were, to leave Christ, Christianity, if you will, the very completion and fulfillment of all that Judaism pointed to. Not that there was anything wrong with Judaism, it was all right. The law is good, just, and true. But the problem is you're not going to be justified by keeping the law. Part of the point of the law was to demonstrate that you can't. The fact that you failed to keep the Ten Commandments, for example, which no one keeps, no one from their heart keeps. Externally, you can lower the bar and create some sort of standard by which you, you think you can keep it, but in the heart you're not. You're not killing somebody, but you're hating somebody, for example, Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount. You're not committing adultery, but you're lusting in your heart after someone, and, and, and that's breaking the spirit of the law as well. The real problem is none of us could possibly keep it. They couldn't keep it. Although it is a good, true, and right. There's only one human in history that has ever kept the law, and that person is Jesus Christ. And that's what he's preaching about. And that's what the apostles preached about. This was permeated in their message. They exalted and lifted up a single person, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's really what the book of Hebrews is about. The supremacy of Christ in the very beginning and the end. And for their particular case, it's a great warning is, is don't forget who Jesus Christ is. Everything else is something less. And so whether you're in a situation where it might not be Judaism, but it might be another religious tradition or a background, it may be none at all, a pagan background. Listen, there is nothing that compares to Jesus Christ, and the point is to look at him and exalt him. Jesus Christ is, a, is the glorious one. He is the mediator between God and man. There is no other one. There is no other way. There's no other option other than Jesus Christ. This is not a Western thought. This is not an Eastern thought. This is the only thought. It is Jesus Christ. This is, this is the one, by the way, who created all the world, as he would say in opening up this sermon in the book of Hebrews. It is, it is Jesus Christ who not only created all, but he holds all things together. He does so by the very word of his power. It is his word that is spoken, that is created. Whether someone believes that or not is immaterial. That is truth and what has happened. It is Jesus Christ who is holding all things together now. It is his faithfulness in doing so and great mercies. As we sang about great is his faithfulness, you know how you know he's faithful and merciful as you woke up today in this world. His mercy is new every day and every morning. And every breath that you take, 
It's upheld by the very word of his power. And beyond that, for those that are in rebellion against, which is all humanity, for those that recognize that, he has redeemed us from then the consequences of our sin. Eternal damnation due as a just penalty of the reward. The very wrath of God Jesus took upon himself for his redeemed. Christ died for ungodly, you and me. He died for the ungodly to make them godly, the only one that could. And so, beloved, if you have any Godward or godly affections, it is in response to the regenerate work of the Holy Spirit in applying that very work of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead and it brings you to spiritual life, a spiritual resurrection. This dynamic is brought about by the very work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does, by the way. He doesn't run around in uncontrollable frenzy and nonsense and babbling. What he does is he works in bringing about newness of life to those that were otherwise dead in their trespasses and sins. It's expressed, and and he'll get to that if I get to it at some point in this letter here, the close out of chapter 6, I won't touch on that today, but you'll notice that the work of the Holy Spirit is going to, to run in, in, in a way in which the, uh, his work is then expressed in the life of the regenerate. And how is it expressed? We would talk of it as fruit, just like a, a tree that is made alive and is nourished, bears fruit. What kind of fruit of the Holy Spirit is there? Love, joy, peace, patience. And, by the way, self-control. There's a lot of talk right now, and i got to be careful because I don't want to be extra critical, and I, and I feel bad about being critical. This is a group of young people that have made national news because they've gotten together and, and prayed. And they're singing songs in response to wanting to be loved, apparently, because that was the message. Start loving others by letting Jesus love you. Whatever that actually means, I'm not sure. But I don't want to be too critical, and we'll use Reagan's mantra, trust but verify. (laughs) Give the benefit of the doubt, I'm fine with that. But here's what I'll pray those young people, and whether it spreads to other campuses, which it has by social contagion or just the thing to do, I suppose in one way it's great because they're not out drinking and carousing, so that's good, maybe. But you want to verify? You know how you can verify and how they can verify, which they wouldn't want to hear from me anyway, but if somebody happens to, here's how you can verify it. The very work of the Spirit is what? Walking in love, true love. I talked about that on Wednesday night, what it's expressed. How is that expressed? I'll tell you three key ways. Forgiveness, generosity, and being a peaceful person, peacemaking. This this is expressions of love, grace and mercy, the very love of God. Ephesians 5, 
That's where I'm getting from, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights. It's also expressed in how you would walk in light. That is, walk in holiness. When the, when the great uh, awakening occurred in the 1700s, I'll tell you what, it changed the whole city in many respects. And Jonathan Edwards still had some concerns about those that might just be getting in on the bandwagon. But it did, they did shut down a lot of the vice that was going on, and I'd like to see that. I'd like to see young people walk in holiness, to be chaste, to be devout. To put away filthy talk and rotten fruit, as we talked in Andy's class this morning. The third way would be to walk in wisdom. The wisdom that comes from God and his word. This, the wisdom, it, it is right here. And again, why we are focusing so much on God's word when we read it and we sing it and we pray about it. Because this is the source of absolute authority and absolute truth. Anything else you could be deceived by and examine what I say. That's why we have you to have an open Bible. Not just an open mind, if you will. We want you to have an open Bible. Go there, see if these things are so. There, there's an objective way to measure and to look. And so I'm, I'm sincerely, actually, I'm praying. And, and maybe many young people would truly be under the influence of the Holy Spirit instead of alcohol. Because that's debauchery, Ephesians 5.18. But to be under the control of the Holy Spirit is expressed in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. True devotion to Christ, and not just with your lips, but with the song of your life and the character in which is conformed to Jesus Christ and expressed in self-control, and a deep-seated peace, joy, and patience. The people to whom this message was first preached was a congregation. A congregation of people, much like today we are, we, we, we all have a desire. We've gathered here together to worship Christ there's a, a faithful witness within this body of Christ. By the way, that I have to say again, that's one thing that continues to draw me here. It is, you, you just, I just can't express how what a great joy it is to be a part of you, to see your face, to see your desire to follow Christ. It's inspirational and encouraging to me, by the way. It is. I love taking that group with me to this conference instead of me going by myself. Because it's a great joy to be with you. It's a great joy to gather with you here, to be among the saints. You'll see that expressed here in Hebrews 6 when we get to it eventually. But the sad news, this preacher knows that within that congregation, there were, are some who are among them. Who are not really among them. And that brings about great grief. So he warns his congregation, in their particular case, don't, don't go back to Judaism. That's, that's regressing. That will move to apostasy. 
stay and move forward and grow with Christ. Examine your, your own heart. Because this is a vitally important thing. This is of eternal consequences. Doesn't matter who wins the game. This is what matters. This is a matter of not temporal life and death, but eternal life and death. And therefore here, examine. And if any time, by the way, this, if these seeds are sown in the heart, and I think that's the heart of this preacher in Hebrews 2, that even down the road some point in time, that there would always be this truth lingering about in your mind, that you can indeed examine yourself and respond to the very hound of heaven who will continue to come for his children to bring about repentance and faith and a desire for holiness, a desire for truth, a desire for godly wisdom. We all need to grow in those graces, don't we? But we have a desire for it, and it'll be built up through his holy word. It'll bring about great blessings in your life, by the way, too, to hear and to heed God and his word. One of my favorite psalms is the very first one. Many of you have memorized it. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffer. The blessed man is the one who has been blessed of God. That is the one who is redeemed. You see, he has a different path that he's walking. He has a different desire. What a beautiful way to explain it in Psalm 1. Walking, standing, and sitting, not with the evil. This is not the trajectory of his life and the lifestyle. That is one way in which you can examine your true affections for Christ. Do you really have them? Is this your desire? I want to walk in the way of the wicked. I want to stand with those that are in rebellion against God, his truth, and his wisdom. Am I aligned with them? Am I in their, their seat espousing the same kinds of things? Or is my delight in the very law of the Lord? This is God's word. Is that, is that my desire? Is that my delight? And in his law, then, he meditates day and night. The, the imagery is there that, that it has permeated his soul in such that these are the thoughts that you come up with. I, I can't do this because this would not bring honor to God. I, I will do this because this honors God and it will cause me to grow in grace in the Lord. And what a beautiful picture in this poetic way in Psalm 1. This is his, his delight, and here's the analogy. He'll be like a, a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf doesn't wither. The planted tree is, is, is not one that is wild and just happens to be. It is chosen specifically and has a very purpose in it. And it's cultivated. That's the imagery. It cultivated in such in which the nourishment will be given to it. Because what is the desire and what is the work of that person who would plant a fruit tree? It is so that he would have fruit from it. And yes, there may be a season of time that it takes to grow. 
and to nurture and various seasons in which there might be abundance of this fruit and other times it's, it's, it doesn't appear as fruitful. But ultimately, if it, it is alive and healthy and well, it will continue to blossom and grow. Pruning, yes, cutting away those things with, which will not help it grow, the discipline that is required. But yet, in its season, it will bear great fruit. Have you seen fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Not of the flesh, not conforming that way, but something supernaturally working out and expressed that way. That's what it's going. That's what the imagery is there. And in whatever he does, he, he will prosper. Prosper how? Before God. Because this honors God. We would say glorify God, right? Th- this demonstrates the beauty of God's work in the life of the believer. It is, it is this thought that the preacher here in Hebrews has. He, he, he just doesn't want them to have a, a superficial understanding of Christ. He wants them to have a supernatural understanding. And a supernatural understanding then that is practically expressed in your own life in that very fruit, that very work of the Holy Spirit. The problem with the church then and the church even today, those people that would gather themselves to ostensibly call themselves a church, is that these religious practices that we engage in, showing up, taking um, remembrance of Christ in communion, hearing and singing and praying, these, these practices are good, helpful, and healthy. But they're really not necessarily indicative of, of the redeemed. And some will fall away and apostatize. In our reading through the Gospels, we, we read about Judas, didn't we? In the reading of... Um, Acts 1, he was one who fell away. This is one that was inside the church, in the inter, inner group. He thought he was one of them. They thought he was one of them until he proved he was not. That, that's, the, that's the idea going here. There are many who think that they are part of the kingdom, that they are doing God's work, that they are worshiping him, that their hearts are truly being revived, and they may, they may be deceiving themselves. I don't know, and the preacher of Hebrews doesn't know, so he throws out a blanket warning. That's the warning that we get here, an ominous warning. He's already told us in chapter 2 that to pay then close attention. Because it's very frightening. You may drift away from the very truth. In chapter 3, he'll say it in a different way. You may very well fall away from the living God. Even among all your righteous practices and your participation. 
And here he says, don't be dull of hearing, chapter 5 and verse 11, because you need to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and go further and not be deceived by external practices that you're participating in. So let's look at this text once again, and we'll pick it up in chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And just as an explanation of review, we've been through this. He's not saying basic or simple things about Christ. He's saying those things of Judaism that were symbolic and pointed to Christ look to the maturity or the perfection that has been achieved in Christ. And so he goes back to their practices, not laying again a foundation of repentance of dead works and faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This will do if God permits, pointing to God's sovereignty. Here's the warning of apostasy. It's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the powers to come, and then have fallen away, apostatized, to restore them again unto repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Example. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed. And his end is to be burned. But we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name, serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to, to show the same earnestness and to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators, those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. May they hear your voice. May they hear and heed the very words of Christ today. May we imitate, indeed, those that are faithful, who have heard the truth and responded to it, and indeed may grant us all patience to indeed believe and trust and one day receive inherited promises that are beyond our imagination. I pray these in Christ's name. Amen. This warning here, as I've mentioned, this impossible point here, it's, it's a great warning about regressing from the gospel. It's obviously, it's, we can recognize there's a problem with outright rejection. People know that. But here, I think he's pointing more to not just an outward 
rejection. These are people who, who heard the truth and then are backing away from it. Or they're not advancing in it. In other words, they're becoming, as he would say in 5.11, dull of hearing. They're not growing. They're, they're lazy. They're not engaging in what's going on. They need discernment, and that's going to come about by their engagement in the truth. This warning, verse 4, about this impossibility to, to restore to, to repentance, in verse 6, he describes a particular group that we introduced last time. And out of that congregation, he's talking about those that are unregenerate. He uses those pronouns, remember? Those, them, they, and theirs in verse 4 through 6. And then he changes it in verse 9 to say, However, if you're in Christ, then, then that's not about you. Because you're one of the beloved. And so you take these things and measure, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, to see if you pass the test, if you will, so that your faith isn't just external and superficial. He's speaking to this congregation at large, but he, he, he doesn't know any particular ones that might be there that really aren't in the kingdom. And I tell you what, it can really fool you. They were fooled by, as I mentioned, Judas, weren't they? Maybe there were some others, Simon the Zealot I'm thinking about, that guy's probably militaristic, if you will, an insurrectionist. He made it in. This dirty, cheap tax collector, Matthew, he makes it in too. not obvious sometimes. It's a matter of the heart. And so it's not really a directive for us to go examine other people, per se. It's to examine our own heart, to look at ourselves. Exposure to God, His work, His church, His body, and to be around the preaching, the reading, the singing, to be in church, to be a part of the community, as great as that is, it's not good enough. My friend Daryl, one of our deacons, likes to say, well, hanging out in a garage doesn't make you a car. <laughs> His way of words. And that's true. And hanging out in a church doesn't make you a Christian. These folks, some within that congregation, the those, them, and they, They were around, all of that. They were close, but not quite. They were close to the amazing glory of God. But they really weren't part of it. They may have convinced themselves that they were part of it, but they're not. And that's very frightening. It burdens my heart, particularly. I want to challenge grandparents and parents. Keep preaching the word to your children and keep praying for them. And I guarantee if I know them, which we are, we have a regular prayer time. By the way, the ladies have formulated. If you're not a part of it, you want to be a part of it, see Catherine about it. 
We pray for their salvation and sanctification, both. And the way the world is going, they're going to need it. Because it's sad to be close, but not quite. In the text, you, you see he describes, as we went through last week, we got through the first couple, I think. In verse 4, he describes those people that, that would not be able to be brought back to repentance as once enlightened. And we talked about that last week. That is, they got the information. They know the facts. They know the truth. They can spout the facts. They can say the words. But that's not enough. They say, it says they have tasted of the heavenly gift. And again, we, we explain that has to do with experience. There, there's an experience of, of being in, engaged in what's going on. They didn't just know about it, but they were actually there. They, they actually experienced what was going on. In this case, the heavenly gift, specifically of Jesus Christ and his work that is manifested in the church. They experienced that. Experienced what was going on in the church. They were part. They attended. Now here's the third one here that we didn't get to, and I'd like to, and that is this sharing of in the Holy Spirit. And that's probably one of the harder phrases for us to grasp. Because remember, I'm suggesting, I'm doing, I guess, more than suggesting, I'm saying, that this is speaking of unbelievers, unregenerate. And, and so in what way are they sharing in the Holy Spirit? So, well, that's a little harder for you to, to, to prove. And I agree, it's a little bit more difficult but listen what's going on when we talk about sharing in the Holy Spirit. If you have attended here today, you're sharing in the very work of the Holy Spirit. In the work of the lives of the believers. In those that the Holy Spirit has brought to, from, from death to life. And is continually working in their heart, bringing about continual confession and repentance and renewal, and fruit in their life. If you want to look back, and I'll just hit a couple passages. I'll see what I can get through here. Matthew chapter 12, for example. I'll show you a couple in Matthew. I think what he's pointing back in particular here in, in Hebrews is, is really the, the initiation of 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 the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. It really begins with the ministry of Jesus Christ in a unique way. That, that's what's happened. There's something, uh, uh, a, a watershed moment, if you will, when God takes on human flesh and empowered his work by the very Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18 in Matthew 12. Behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom I'm well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. That's capital S in our text, and the translators have it right. It's the Holy Spirit. And he will then proclaim justice to the Gentiles. This is Jesus Christ then fulfilling those promises 
given in the Old Testament, hence those elementary ideas. Here it is completed in the person of Jesus Christ. It is his servant. He is chosen. He is beloved. That is Jesus Christ. And he is always well-pleasing because he's in perfection. And beyond that, here is the He's coupled with the, the outpouring and dynamic work of the Holy Spirit upon him. And this proclamation, think of it as preaching, goes forth even to the Gentile world. And the justice is proclaimed. Righteousness is proclaimed. Jesus' work then is confirmed confirm his message, and then him as a messenger is then confirmed by the very work of the Holy Spirit outpoured in him in these miracles. The miracles that were done are uncomparable to any time in human history. Certainly up to this point, there was such an outpouring that, that people could see it. Even unbelievers could see it. Even religious people. Remember Nicodemus in chapter 3. He says, no one can do these signs unless God is with them. And he reminds Nicodemus, you're not in the kingdom because you need to be born again. That is, your engagement in all this religious stuff and even knowing about it and even ex experiencing it and seeing this work of the Holy Spirit, that is not enough. You need to be personally regenerated. And he calls it being born again by the work of the Spirit. It is a dynamic work of the Spirit, like the wind. You don't know where it came, where it's going, but you see its effect. That is, it will produce fruit in your life. And one of the first fruits that is demonstrated it is repentance. And by the way, not a single act of repentance, but a life of repentance, of confession of sin. And so... I can't get in the weeds too far here, but look further down. This is, a mis, this is often a misunderstood passage here, but it, it goes along with this impossible to be restored, I'd argue, in Hebrews. That's why I want to point it out. So Jesus is proclaiming under the power of the Spirit. His, all of his work is authenticated by these miracles. They're called signs that are done. And he says... Therefore, verse 31 of chapter 12, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Denying that clear work of the Holy Spirit. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, that is Jesus Christ, will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, I know some people think of this as just a special time, just in the time of the work uh, of, of, um, uh, at this dispensation, and that it, that it doesn't apply. I, I don't follow that. I would say that, no, th this is the, the known work of the Holy Spirit. And if you, if, you re if you reject that, if that's your disposition, you're not going to come to Christ. It's a very ominous and scary warning. Don't reject the very work of the Holy Spirit because there is no other salvation in any other way. MacArthur 
describes his little brief comment in his study Bible. Those who, who know his claims are true and reject him anyway sin against the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who testifies of Christ and makes his truth known to us. That's what I'm saying. If you hear the word of truth and, and you have been enlightened and you, you know it and you know it to be true and you reject that known truth which is manifested by the way and made known by the Holy Spirit it isn't made known other ways you understand I sit here and read this thing and it is the, the Spirit of God that would give you the significance of it I always say I can read the substance I can tell you the substance I can explain it to you but, but, but how am I going to penetrate a dead heart? It's, it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. If you reject and rebel against his work, it is the Holy Spirit, he says, who testifies of Christ and makes his known, then no forgiveness is possible. And in their case, yes, I think there's a unique thing in the Pharisees who, who witness his miracles firsthand and saw the evidence of it. But you know, beloved, we know about it. It's written in the Gospels. And we have, as Peter would say, we saw them on the holy mountain, but we have a word more sure. How do you have the more word, more sure word? Because God spoke holy scripture. You, you have miracles documented by the very expression of God right here. Reject this, and there's no hope for you. That's the point. I'm not going to be a judge of what your rejection and non-rejection is. I'm just challenging you to, to think about that. This is God's holy word. This is his divine expression of truth. And, and who is it that, that moved those that would write this down? You, you know, we didn't give you ideas of our own mind. But holy men of God were born along by the what? Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. This is his testimony right here. This is why we make such a big deal about the Bible and reading the Bible. This is not the words of men as if they did it on their own. This is the very words of God. Born along by by the Holy Spirit. Reject his word. Oh, well, you know, they thought that way then, but maybe they should have think, think a different way now. No. God doesn't think differently. He can't. He can't change his mind. It isn't because he doesn't want to. It's what would he change it to? God, who is perfect in all aspects, can't be less perfect at any particular time in history as we measure time. So here is the call. The call is then to, to believe his word. You have been made known of this truth. This is the, the very work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about in Hebrews. You're sharing in the work of the Holy Spirit. And beloved, I'd say we have it far better than any generations that ever preceded us. 
you think, well, that would have been good to, to see Jesus turn water into wine or take a couple pieces of fish and bread and feed thousands and thousands. Didn't do them any good, did it? They all ho- hollered out shortly thereafter, crucify him. They rejected the very work of the Holy Spirit, unmistakable. And if you reject his word and what the Holy Spirit has given us in this truth, there is no hope for you. Unbelief. This is blasphemy. To reject his word is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because this is the, the fullest revelation, the fullest possible revelation of Jesus Christ. You have it now, and you have it completed. We even have it better, is what I'm saying. If you're still in Matthew, look back in chapter um, 11. These Hebrews knew about the miraculous works of Jesus, as we do. They also, some of them perhaps, did witness some of it visually, although I would argue that the scripture is sufficient for that. But they were on the verge of leaving and regressing and apostatizing. And Jesus' response to those cities to whom he came and proclaimed righteousness, empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit, as we found in chapter 12. Look back in Matthew 11. What does Jesus do in those cities where his miraculous works that were done through the power of the Holy Spirit, what does he say to them? Verse 20 of chapter 11. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. And why? He denounces the city because why? The mighty works, by the way, are the miracles that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, because they didn't repent. And so his response to them is, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. The woe means a word of judgment. This is the same idea of being impossible to renew. Because of their failure to repent, here certain judgment is coming. This is an absolute sincere and serious and ominous warning to hear the very word of Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. Woe to you, he says. Judgment is the word there and the word of the prophet. And then he makes this interesting parallel, which is fascinating. And I I think it's just to think about what privileges they had in seeing the very work of God empowered through the Holy Spirit done in their city. He gives an example for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, you remember them? (laughs) Destroyed, right? They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. You, you, will you be exalted to heaven? No, instead, you will be brought down to Hades. That's what he's saying. That's what the woe means. 
For if the mighty works had been done in you, had been done in Sodom, do you remember that? It would have remained until this day. That is, Sodom would have repented. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. It's passages like this that we, we understand, although not perfectly clear, there seems to be a, a degree of judgment, of eternal judgment, based on, on this concept here. A judgment that commensurates with the degree of rebellion is the point. And what, what he's saying is, how much more here is it to, to reject the very mighty works of Christ performed in their town. The judgment will come because of rebellion against God. But here is an increased, heightened, and a greater warning. This mighty work of God, by the way, accomplished through the Holy Spirit, is is not ancient history. This is happening now. This is what is going on at the church when he preaches to these Hebrews. You see, Christ has already died and ascended on high. He's at the right hand of God, the majesty on high. This time in which this preacher is preaching, probably late A.D. 60, at least 30 years beyond the, the ascension of Jesus Christ. And he's warning them. You know why? Because the work of the Holy Spirit is still going on in their day, and I'd argue it's still going on in ours. Turn to John chapter, just thought of this, turn to John chapter 16. You can make this connection. This is a beautiful section of Scripture. In 14, remember, he, Jesus is he, he's telling his disciples some truth before he, he leaves. Th- this is what we picked up in our reading in Acts about the promised Holy Spirit earlier in our service, remember? They were waiting because Jesus Christ had promised to give them a unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that they would then be what? Witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. This is how his word is going forth. It isn't by our ingenuity and our eloquence and our ability It is simply a proclamation empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish his work. That's it. He promises that in John 14, and he says, Beloved, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he will explain and continue on here about their circumstance. And you get to chapter 16. And he talks about this comforter that he's going to send. He's not going to to, to leave them as orphans. 
but instead he will dwell with them in the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's just take a time, look down to verse 13 of chapter 16. This is, he's causing the spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. And what will the Holy Spirit do? What will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What would be a revival within the church? Here's what it is. He will not speak on his own authority, but what he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will, and underline that verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know what will happen? You'll learn about Christ. He points to the truth. He is the spirit of truth. He will point to Christ. And it is, it is through this dynamic work of the Holy Spirit that you're going to see the significance of the Supreme One, of Jesus Christ. This is His mighty work. It is the mighty work. It is the miraculous work in which He takes a sinner and makes them a saint. You can't make somebody conform on the inside. You can do it externally. But how are you going to change the heart? We don't have the ability. I wish they did. I would make sure all my children had that. I would make sure all your children had that. I would make sure everyone that I knew and I love would have that. But it isn't my work to do. My work is simply to proclaim Jesus Christ and him for the forgiveness of sin. To take the truth in which he has given to us and granted to us by the inspiration of God, the very work of the Holy Spirit that is right before you, and sit here and just declare that. And pray that the Holy Spirit will, de- will take that substance and declare it unto you. And what will he make known to you? Jesus Christ is Lord. And that will be your confession. Beloved, Within the body of Christ, as much as the Hebrews were, they were witnesses of that miracle. I'm, I don't think I'm a very good man. Someone told me the other day I'm not that good, and I said, you're right. <laughs> I, I really, the, 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 the more I grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, the more I recognize my own wickedness and repent of it. I want to be. I want to be conformed to Christ. But, beloved, if, if, if the Holy Spirit had not worked in my life, I can tell you I would be a lot worse. I may not be as good as I want to be or as I should be, but I'll tell you what, I would be a lot more evil. A lot more evil. Anecdotally, I, I, grew, I grew up in a home with... Um, Three other brothers that are so wicked, I don't want to talk about it. Two of them are already dead, and one of them's in jail for the rest of his life. How about me? And I've given this testimony before to people. I've gone more detail to some. I don't like to get into it too much because it's so awful. Well, what's the difference for me? Was I smarter? No. They're pretty bright. 
Was I just lucky? No. I came to learn about the work of God and the Holy Spirit and His Word. And I can't explain it other than I was sitting in a little pew in a little tiny church in Akakeek, Maryland. If you don't know where that is, it's between Poe Monkey and Piscataway, just to help you out. Anyway, it's outside of D.C., believe it or not. And a man got up there and told me about the gospel in a very simple way. He wasn't that eloquent of a preacher, actually. Denny Dinsmore was his name. Never forget him. Never forget that message. I really didn't understand it then. But something happened. I wanted Jesus Christ. I was just a teenage boy from a broken home. From parents that abandoned me. From brothers that were vile. Jesus looked good. And I wanted him. And in my ignorance, I repented and prayed. In fact, I got a little booklet that talked about that and it said, you got to pray this prayer. <laughs> Which I never figured that one out. But I sure prayed it a lot. Because I wanted Christ. What made me want Christ? What made me want to turn my back away from all that vileness and wickedness and pursue Christ? Not, not, never in perfection, not suggesting that. But there was a different direction. Here's what it is. That, that is the work of the Holy Spirit who can reach down in the most impossible situation and pluck you out of that. And, and beloved, you, you may have grown up in a Christian home, and I love you children who have that privilege. And, and my kids grew up in a Christian home. But that's not going to be good enough, guys. It's not going to be good enough to be close to, to, to that truth. That's what this preacher is getting to. You're going to have to be plucked out. So hear and respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't harden your heart. Today, if you will hear his voice, we, we heard in the previous chapters, right? Don't harden your heart. Listen to him now. And look about you and see, if you can, the work of his grace in the life of the believers. That's what this preacher in Hebrews is saying. He's saying, you can see the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit among his people. This is one of the reasons we're careful we, we want everyone to come here and be a part, but we, we, we do guard this place because we, we want you to be truly in Christ. We, we don't want you to be deceived. We, we, we don't want you to be part of the, the group, but, but outside of Christ. And so we ask you to, to really examine your heart and see if you're truly in Christ. But beloved, we have a great privilege, and, and I, I can't get over it I can't get over what a, what a great joy it is to be among his saints here with you and to see God working in your life continually. To see the direction and the trajectory of your life. This is marvelous grace, isn't it? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. We might have to sing that one, I think. 
if you can find it. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mountain poured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Can you find that one, Amber? I'm going to put you on the spot. Come on up and play. I know we're breaking our protocol, but I want to sing this with you. And Jerry, you have to come up and help me in case I mess up. What number is that? And then I'll pray. 105. And you sing this as a prayer. Come on up, Jerry. 105 in your hymn books. Let's sing it together. Let's stand. Jesus Christ our Lord. 
We're thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives to transform us into the, into the image of your Son. I pray that you will continue with that good, gracious work, and may we respond in great joy to you. Cause us to continue to gather together to bless your holy name. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.